All right. Welcome to Las Vegas, Matt. Good to be here. So would you mind introducing yourself for the audience, please? Sure. So I'm Matt Bradley. I'm the uh, Senior Vice President of Development for the Enterprise Performance Management Set of Products and Services at Oracle. Awesome. So what does that role mean? And what do you do for Oracle? What do I do for Oracle? That's a good question. Uh, as little as I can get away with, to be honest. <laughs> but um, basically, we set the strategy for the Enterprise Performance Management Set of Products, uh, then deliver against that strategy, and then fundamentally run the operations for our SaaS based offerings. So you so must that, have quite a large team. It is substantial, yes. Yes. So, you know, we hear a lot about, um, you know, EPM and Hyperion and, you know, ERP and supply chain, all these buzzwords. Can you describe for our listeners what EPM actually is and what it does for organizations? Good question. Yeah. So EPM has gone through, obviously, a series of, of uh, sort of alphabet soup throughout the years from BPM to CPM and EPM. We're moving up the alphabet. Uh, it, it fundamentally is a decision framework for organizations. It looks after the actuals, so the consolidated close, making sure they're accurate so you know what has happened, and then being able to leverage those to then forward project to your plans, forecast, where you want to go. So it's kind of that sort of higher-level decision-making framework for organizations that they can leverage and use to drive their businesses forward. Okay. So how do customers, you know, if they don't have an EPM solution, how do they do this typically? Excel is, is, is the, is the old-fashioned and, and brute force. So, so we're basically looking to elevate that, that element up. So you move it into a system of record, you can then have a much more repeatable process, a much more efficient process. So you're not relying on these disconnected Excel sheets in order to really make that decision-making uh, framework. But that, for the most purposes, what, what customers who don't have EPM do, they'll extract data into Excel and pivot and try to make uh, calculations and figure stuff out from, uh, from that standpoint. Excel gymnastics, huh? Yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. <laughs> you Have you ever seen the uh, World Cup of Excel? No? No, I haven't. There is one. Actually, it's very, very entertaining view. They, they get a problem, they then have to solve it during the wow. formulas and whatever. It's very, very weird. <laughs> yeah. A little geekish. But, yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to ask, so what do you tell a customer that is using their transactional system to maybe close the books within their... ERP or have just, you know, some reporting for, you know, planning numbers or... Yeah, it, it, to a certain, well, they're missing a couple of opportunities. One is the, there is complexity involved in the accounting. And so you're relying on writing appropriate rules at the ERP to handle that. And if you look at a lot of organizations, they tend to, at least the successful ones, tend to be uh, acquisitive in nature. So you're going to be buying new businesses. And when you buy a new business, they're not on your ERP. And so now you have a, a challenge. Do you move them to your ERP? How quickly can you get them onto your ERP? Or do you consolidate in a standalone consolidation solution that is purpose-built to solve these kind of problems? Um, so that's sort of number one where it, where it ends up. There's a level of efficiency or a agility that you get by having a standalone consolidation system that is geared towards solving you know, that unique problem. On the planning side, um, I think the challenge most folks get into is in today's world with the level of disruptions that are occurring, be it pandemic, be it regulatory change, be it competitive pressure, et cetera, that pace has moved to a point where you can't do it manually. You can't roll it into Excel. You can't just do reporting. You're a step behind. Um, if you take, say, a subscription business, the revenue is a lagging indicator. You need to know when it is activated before you actually understand what is occurring, what's happening. You need to know when it's terminated to understand that churn. And so you need to shift towards more operational style drivers and they're not coming from ERPs in general. So it's a matter of getting the right information so you can actually 
become not necessarily uh, at the mercy of disruption, but basically accommodate the disruption, either proactively by pivoting, or if you have the wherewithal through scenario modeling, so you actually have plans up front so that when things do go wrong, you already have at least a blueprint you can actually move forward with. And that's to a certain extent where you need to elevate this up out of the transactional systems and out of Excel and out of, you know, homegrown solutions that, that try to address this challenge. So, so histor- I guess from a historical perspective, what was the genesis of this idea to create an EPM platform? Is this something that the team at Hyperion and before Oracle required them did, or is this something that was a general industry concept already? It, 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 well, it drove out of the Hyperion perspective. So Hyperion first came to the market in the early 2000s with business performance management. The whole notion of there's a series of collected processes that are not as well defined as, say, the traditional ERP processes, procure to play, order to cash, et cetera. But there was still this notion of how do you close and consolidate? How do you then plan and forecast? And by the luxury Hyperion had, it had that breadth. Uh, you know, both those elements that were there. And so the natural progression was rather than doing this in two separate systems, why don't we do this in in a connected system so you can actually play efficiencies from that perspective. So that's where sort of the genesis sort of came out to in terms of how you approach that market at a much more broader holistic standpoint. So really Hyperion defined the market for this. To a certain extent, we'll claim a, a, an element of credit for that. <laughs> there may be other folks out there who will you know, have their own perspectives on it, but fundamentally it was the combination of really three technologies. The consolidation out of Hyperion Solutions, the planning out of Pillar, for those who remember Pillar, uh, and then Airspace. And when you brought those three things together, you basically had the sufficient coverage in order to do custom analytics, you could then do your consolidations. At that point, it was um, enterprise. Right. And then you could use then, you know, pillar for your for your planning forecasting. We went through a process of re-engineering those products and come up with Hyperion planning, uh, Hyperion financial management, and obviously still S-Base is part and parcel of the that core set. And that, to a certain extent, defined what was considered EPM at that point, or BPM at that point. Right. So that was about, what, 2007-ish? So HFM and planning were both released actually back in 2001. 2001. was the original okay. release of those. So I joined Hyperion in 2000. Okay. And maybe we released in 2000. I mean, <laughs> we, we, it's the midst of time. But we, it was in that sort of early 2000, 2001 when we first released those uh, individual products. And I think the formulation of, of BPM was probably a couple of years after that. Okay. When it sort of started to, you know, as a how we approach the market rather than the, you know, the individual components. Let's approach it as that sweet construct. Yeah. You mentioned S-Base. That's a pretty key differentiator, right, with, compared to some of the other tools out there, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, you know, it was nominated as one of the top 10 disruptive technologies when we you know, moved from 1999 into 2000, and, and it hasn't stood still. I mean, we continue to you know, invest and continue to drive that forward, but the whole notion of this speed of thought, multidimensional analytics was revolutionary from that standpoint and a very, very natural fit with finance individuals. They inherently understood the, the nature of that. You know, a, a financial statement is a hierarchy at a certain level. And so it, it just was very, very natural for them to use that as the, you know, investigative sort of slice and dice paradigm. Okay. So where's the product now? Well, the products, I mean, we, we well, one, we still support the on-premise products, mm-hmm. uh, we have it under Applications Unlimited, an Oracle construct. We're, we're currently supporting and maintaining those products through, at this stage, we've announced 2033. And every year, we basically 
will adjust if, if, if it needs to require it in terms of adding more time. We want to give customers a good 10 years line of sight mm-hmm. so they can make you know, appropriate investment decisions from that standpoint. But about 2014, we then did a pivot and, and basically released our software as a service offering. And we start off in planning and then I subsequently rounded off uh, the solution set to include consolidation, tax reporting, narrative reporting, cost and profitability, as well as our dimension management capabilities. And that now forms the broader definition of enterprise performance management as we see it today as a series of SaaS solutions. So okay. a, bit of a bit of a change. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of change, I know um, how customers interact with Oracle post-2014 is, is very different, right? So what have you seen in terms of what you thought would be, you know, longer uh, roadblocks or harder roadblocks versus, you know, what actually has come to fruition? So, for example, the user interface, it's very user-friendly. That's what, you know, our customers tell us. Um, you know, how they interact with infrastructure, the roles and responsibilities in the organization. What have you seen actually come out of the trends since customers first started moving? So I think the big difference that we have, say, between the on-premise and SaaS is the pace that we can actually do releases at, which gives us a certain you know, advantage from that standpoint. Normally in the on-premise world, we're every two years, three years, where we come up with a new major release, and then we'd spend four to five years by the time the install base all shifted to that new release, which fundamentally meant us as a development organization how to support multiple code lines. So it wasn't terribly efficient from that standpoint. Um, and then we add into that the complexity of customer deployments. They, own, they all have their own infrastructure, their own topologies. We were supporting multiple vendor databases, app servers, et cetera, et cetera. So we had a very complex matrix to support and maintain. When we shift to SaaS, there's one topology and there's one set of underlying technologies we need to support. And so as a consequence, we can focus on feature function and not focus on infrastructure or deployment issues, so to speak. And as a consequence, we can then address the customer needs much quicker, much faster, and push out releases on a a much more frequent cadence. Um, And that then gives us the ability, to your point earlier, to interact better with customers where they can raise an idea to us and say, wouldn't it be good if the product did this? And then knowing that maybe within three months, six months, it's actually in the product. Um, So we generally have got... A lot of our requirements generally come from what we, and it's again, this new euphemism is from the fleet. So we describe the customers as the fleet. This is all of the, you know, 6,000, 7,000 customers we currently have today on the, on the EPM SaaS. And they're driving a lot of what they need directly through the Idea Labs. Mm-hmm. It's part of Customer Connect. So that we're, we're canvassing what they'd like to see in it. And then we also have the luxury of being able to look at the, the telemetry. So how customers are leveraging and using the feature set. We're not looking at your data. We're not looking at you know, the, the important confidentiality aspects, but just the health and care that's needed. So we know what functions are being used, what functions are not being used. Um, we know how often they're being used. So now we can then make determinations that did we design it correctly? If we thought this was a great idea and nobody's using it, we can then ask the questions why and, and, and why not and try to then adjust and, and address from that standpoint. We're in the on-premises world, it was opaque. Our interaction was fundamentally from a problem lens for the most part um, or, you know, one-to-one interactions with customers. And now we're getting scale, 7,000 feedbacks, not <laughs> as many as I can fit to meet in a, in, a, in a given period of time. Wow. 
So when it comes to, I think this might be a good segue into some of the pre-built frameworks that Oracle released in the cloud. How often do you see customers are using those to now focus on the business process and the analytics rather than just, you know, keeping the lights on? So, the, yeah, what we have seen, there's a couple of, you know, we're seeing increased adoption of financial planning, workforce planning, capital expenditure projects, maybe not quite as much. And obviously, if you look at our consolidation, obviously, we see a lot of the pre-built content is used by the majority, it's used by all customers because of the, the approach that we've adopted. The ultimate goal that we had is to have customers spend more time using the system and a lot less time constructing and try to build and model the system. Um, so we wanted to address a time to value um, and make sure that was in place. And then we also wanted to address an ongoing maintenance adaptability aspect of it by surfacing a lot more through the user experience and relying a lot less on uh, scripting. They're in much more control over how to change and manage the applications on a go-forward basis. Um, and so we, we basically had those two dual strategies in place in order to deliver, you know, quick time to value, uh, have them focus on what is important, um, which was ongoing activities rather than construction. And then, as you said, trying to really do that ease of maintenance so that you can adjust, adjust and change as, as requirements dictate as you move forward. I think we see that as well on the services side where, you know, the types of folks that we have now in our, in our consulting staff are folks that are not so focused on the technology, the infrastructure, the database side, but more so on business process expertise. So we'll hire functional experts that have been in FP&A organizations or in accounting organizations, and it's much more about feature enablement and right. educating the business users rather than just keeping the system up and running. Yeah, and, exactly. So to all intents and purposes, it's one of the value propositions of SaaS is that the... IT aspects of it are, are somewhat taken care of. Right. You know, you need a new instance, there's one tomorrow. You didn't have to worry about uh, the installations, the configuration, all of the, the mechanics of that particular piece. And now you can easily start to think about, okay, what is the problem I'm trying to solve and how should I solve it and how do I actually drive it forward? So. Yeah, because with the cloud, everything from the electricity in the data center to the data that shows up on your screen is now managed by Oracle. Yes, right? So yep. you can focus a lot more on your business. That makes sense. So what, what do you think is some of the areas of great, you know, um, or I guess opportunities for improvement versus some of the things that, you know, you think are more successful within the EPM platform? So I think there's, there, um, as we look at it and we, and we sort of look forward, what we're hearing from our customers is this notion of agility, which is kind of an amorphous thing, but fundamentally it's giving them the ability to accommodate disruptions. It's going to happen, and it's how you react to that. Um, do you, you know, how do you pivot? How do you take advantage of opportunities? Or for that matter, how do you get defensive and ensure things up? Um, and so we, we see a lot of, you know, act activity in that space in terms of how you can actually drive those things forward. So we see a shift if we take, say, the financial planning. Um, we see a shift in, I would say, three elements to a certain extent. One is to get planning outside of finance and have those that are closer to the customer do the forecasting and planning. So you get rid of that disintermediation and you get rid of that time that it takes or you, you remove this sort of notion of which we had seen in the past of you know planning as a catcher's mitt all the interesting stuff happens outside and you stick numbers mm -hmm. into it and it just catches it all and aggregates it up um, and so we're seeing a shift more towards you know the, the end user close to the customer doing the planning and planning in terms that they know and understand so it's not about entering dollars and aggregating up it's really about modeling 
operational drivers and have that generate the forecast and plans from a financial perspective. As a person who, you know, maybe I'm on a shop floor and I'm, uh, you know, making widgets, I understand that. I may not understand gap. Right. Right. And so having them focus on what they know and understand and what they can control, we end up with improving that accuracy. And if you can get your forecast to be much more accurate, you're freeing up liquidity, which is in short supply in, in a lot of organizations. So now you can have your liquidity do a lot more for you. Um, and so we see that nature. And then the other change that we're seeing is the frequency. Um, so long, at least what we're seeing, long gone are the days of you plan around a calendar. Here's my annual plan. Here's my, you know, by even to a certain extent, my rolling forecast, my nine by three, those kinds of things. We're starting to see organizations, again, it varies by industry, but planning on a, on a weekly basis, planning on an event orientation. We'll replan when something happens that forces us to replan and reconsider as opposed to we're planning based upon an arbitrary calendar. Right, right. The other, thing, the other thing we're seeing is um, if, for example, a customer is not doing cash flow forecasting, now with some of the pre-built frameworks, there are models or there's a, a way for them to start dipping their toes into some new areas that have already been on their mind, but like you said, they're offline in Excel. Um, have you seen that customers are successful starting off and it takes maybe, you know, a quarter or two, or, you know, is it slower than that? Is it that first they get stability in their P&L balance sheet and then they dip into new, you know, areas, for example? Yeah, it, it, I mean, a lot depends where they're coming from, right? So if they had already done an investment in EPM, so they have some on-premise and some mm -hmm. experience in it, they, they can accelerate it a little quicker through that process. But generally, it starts off at the core with, you know, the, the financial statements and making sure that the the basics are in place. It's kind of like a football analogy, right? You know, it's all about fundamentals, right? <laughs> so it's it's making sure you've got those things in place. And once you're sure at that level, then you can then move into the more advanced sort of elements. Um, and some of that can be cash forecasting. Some of it can be other operational style planning, you know, because fundamentally, when you look at if you take, say, a, a P&L, when you get into connected planning, it's fundamentally by taking each one of those line items and blowing it up into a model that helps describe what that number is. Um, so you're basically adding a lot more model behind a specific number, which then gives you much more, well, the, the value would be much more control over that number because you now understand how it's driven and how it works and operates. So are you seeing more alignment even on the customer side? So basically, you know, the chief financial officer has to get aligned with HR or marketing or sales to break down some of those silos and get deeper into and get transparency into Yeah, I mean, numbers. we see that sort of shifting role in finance. Mm -hmm. So the traditional role of, you know, we were the scorekeeper and we told you what your budget was mm -hmm. is, is, is moving away. That's sort of been rejected because fundamentally that ties up liquidity. And in basically encourages per practices within an org. I have this budget, and if I don't spend it, I won't get this budget <laughs> next year. So what do I do? I spend it. Was that the best spend for an organization? Don't know. Whereas we need to move to a much more dynamic nature of, of what we can solve performance management, where you basically will revisit these things when it makes sense. And, and it shows up in a variety of different you know, techniques. Some of it can be, there was a, a trend several years back of zero-based budgeting, forecasting, which had got a little bit of a negative connotation from a cost-cutting perspective, but fundamentally at its core was these things are strategic, these things are non-strategic. For non-strategic, justify the spend so we can free up that capital to put it towards the strategic. So you could move it to a much more progressive mechanism. Um, and so we are seeing, you know, organizations, generally they start 
we encourage them to be agile. Start small, deliver some value, and then expand, 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 rather than the traditional boil the ocean. And then you end up with this project fatigue. It's the, you know, as I tell my guys at work, it's like the two kids in the back of the car, are we there yet? <laughs> kind of notion. And, and it's really trying to, you know, snowball, show some momentum, show some value, and then generate that to the next project, to the next project, and 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 onward. Because it, it at least we see, especially in the planning domain, it doesn't stop. There's a new business model. And finance needs to know and understand that business model. If they want to become that business partner, they're going to have to walk a walk in somebody else's shoes to really go, it's like, okay, when we're talking about subscription, this is what it means. This is what we need to pay attention to. This is the dynamics of that industry. Therefore, I can now help you do the analysis, get you the right data in order for those decisions to take place. So they're becoming much more of that partner as opposed to schoolkeeper. Here's your, you know, here's your report card, what you did or didn't do well, uh, so to speak. So it's not quite like, you know, Microsoft Office where you can just kind of click next, next and finish and you're done. <laughs> right? There's right. a maturity of sorts based on where you are as a customer and you've got to evaluate where they are currently and where they want to go, and then you piecemeal it out, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's that sort of, you know, crawl, walk, run kind of model, if you know what I mean. It's that you can't, you know, as we tell our customers, you can't jump to suddenly leveraging machine learning if you haven't gone through the other right. steps. So you can't get to an automatic generated forecast if you haven't done, you know, the basics. Yeah. Uh, and, and you have to, you know, you have to do those and get those done first. And then once that's in place, then you can... Leverage that in order to do the more uh, advanced running and flying, elements. Yeah. running, flying, et cetera. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Um, so, where are some areas of innovation that you see coming down the pike, and what can customers look forward to in the platform? So, uh, well, we did talk a little bit about we just introduced machine learning. So, we see we as an overall Oracle strategy, our goal is to move to a level of touchless, be it at the transactional level. So. There's no reason why anybody should be involved in a lot of those processes that were originally paper. If we can make those all automated and streamlined, we'll increase the accuracy of the data, we'll increase the efficiency of those processes and fundamentally free up MBAs to go do MBA work, right? <laughs> right? Um, and the MBA work they will do is in this planning, forecasting, partnering arena. Even in that space, if you move towards this continuous forecasting, you can't do it the old way aggregate numbers up and input numbers. You have to have the machine generate a forecast and then have human judgment react to that generated forecast. So we're spending time and energy doing areas of, of that element. How do we generate a forecast based upon seasonality? How do we generate a forecast based upon other inputs and increasing the sophistication of those algorithms behind uh, the scenes? So, you know, great examples are, you know, seasonality was kind of interesting until 2019, 2020, and then those charts didn't look what they looked like in the past, right? And so by introducing machine learning, we can then accommodate that much more readily. Um, it can understand that, yes, an event occurred, it had this impact. We can reduce that out of it and understand the underlying trends and then leverage and use that on a go-forward basis without requiring you to reconfigure and re, you know, uh, work the algorithms from that standpoint, right? And so we're spending a lot of energy trying to figure out which ones do we apply to which specific use case. And we want to do to a certain extent, the data science on behalf of the customer rather than having the customer do all of that data science. Um, our job is to make the forecast better. And if we can leverage machine learning to do that, then we'll, we'll, we'll do that and package that and make that be part and parcel of the solution uh, we move forward with. Um, so that's one area. The other area is in the area of, I would say, 
sort of general analytics. Um, you know, organizations have gotten very, very good at the mechanics of a close. You'll find most will close in five days, three days, et cetera. But then it takes them two weeks to figure out what mm -hmm. all the numbers mean, right? And so the notion we sort of have here is how can we help in that analytical phase? And we believe that, again, leveraging some machine learning and, and um, you know, advanced algorithms, we can spot patterns in the data. So if you take a financial statement at a very, very high level, revenue expense may be exactly where you want to be. But at a cost center, on a particular account, in a particular geo, hidden in the depths of you know, the multidimensional space, there's something happening. And being able to find that needle in this haystack of data is, is very, very hard for a human to do. Most of it's exception reporting, hunting and pecking, et cetera. So we believe that we can apply algorithms across that data and then highlight nuggets of information, insights in that data, looking at things like variance over time, patterns that you expect the data to be following are now starting to diverge. It could be for good reasons, it could be for bad reasons, but it's probably something that somebody should have a look at. And so we developed this notion of IPM insights, intelligent performance management insights, where we're trying to find this information and present it to, to an end user. So when they log in, they get a dashboard, that dashboard's got five, five or six in, insights, and then from those insights, they can go do deeper analysis, try to figure out, is it something they should be concerned about or not? And if it is, take corrective action and, and address it long before they would normally be able to address it. So he's really trying to shorten that analytical time frame down, either to take a decision or even just to understand exactly what's occurring in the business. Interesting. Um, what is the balance of being able to leverage general data science principles to all of your customers versus having a customer have specific needs around, you know, a retailer may have a different right. data trends than a construction company, right? How do you balance that? The, yeah, so the, we basically view it in, in, we're going to get very into data science right now. There's <laughs> two styles of data science, right? So there's data science we would consider recipe oriented, which fundamentally means that the data sets are similar across uh a broad bunch of customers. It could be vertically orientated or it could be geographically. It could be depending on the underlying transactional system. So there's some commonality and it's fairly broad that then enables you to take that algorithm and apply it in many, many instances across many customers. And there are certain use cases that fall into that pattern. So we're currently doing some work with um, receivables forecasting. So when do we expect to get paid? By taking those data sets, we basically go, well, based upon what we see and based upon the algorithms, you're going to get paid three days later than what you thought or a week later than what you thought, which then gives you more insights in terms of what do you do? Is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Should I be worried about it? Will there be a shortfall? Or conversely, will I have an excess of, of available cash? And then what do I do with that? Because um, that customer is always late, but they always pay, right? So we know that so there's, been, yeah. but there's other things you can do. You know, so there's some interesting questions you can do in that area. And we, the general belief that that is probably more recipe-oriented because there's some commonality across industry and across a group of customers, you can do it. Then there are, is another style of machine learning, to your point earlier, is very, very unique to a given customer, to a micro segment. Mm -hmm. um, and in those instances, we will leverage a lot more what we call auto ML. Okay. So rather than coming with a prepackaged recipe to quickly generate a very specific rule for a given customer based upon their specific data. Okay. So the auto ML basically enables us to do a lot of that early data prep activity that you need in machine learning. So how you harmonize your data set, how do you recognize which variables 
should be modeled and which variables are not that actually you know reflect the outputs that you're you're after and so that a lot of that can be automated today and so it's a mixture of of those two both approaches one to reduce the barriers to do data science in the first place through auto ml and then in those other instances where we believe we can package up a a um, a more holistic algorithm for a group of customers with some local configuration will we'll basically package it up and deliver more, more higher value. Oh, wow. So you're clearly very passionate and knowledgeable about this uh, this subject. I have to ask before we let you go, what specifically do you think, you know, keeps you getting up in the morning to do what you do? I mean, you've been doing this for almost two decades. Doing it for almost two Over decades, two, yes. yeah. So is it is it, you know, the new insights or is it something else? No, I think it was always it's sort of that's inherent um, notion as a, as a, you know, as a young professional, or whatever, I've been able to help folks do a better job of what they're currently doing um, by being able to leverage the data that's there or leverage the, the, you know, the advances in technology in order to solve those particular problems. Um, we really want to take the mundane out of people, you know, so they can actually do much more interesting Things. Free up those MBAs, yeah. yeah well, it's, it's, we used to always joke, it's like, yes, I got an MBA and I cut and paste for, you know, three years, right? And so the it ends Excel up being... Olympics, yeah. yeah. Or you, you end up on TV doing, you know, ESPN doing Excel Olympics. So it, it, it was really that sort of, that, that notion of being able to, you know, elevate what you can do. Um, and some of it is through just providing some, you know, better ways of doing what you used to do and continue refining that and continue to look at other ways we can actually help and drive that forward, so... That's what gets me out of bed. Well, say we definitely appreciate that. I, my career otherwise would have been, you know, Excel spreadsheets as an economics major, and uh, we had a, a great opportunity to work with EPM tools. And thank you for being here today. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Thank you.